I loved it. You guys see Philip uh, quoting it? Yeah, he was quoting it as Kevin was reading it. That was pretty cool. I like that. That was impromptu. I feel like this morning is like, um, if there was a meme, like things exploding here and there, and you're just kind of walking through it, like, ah, we've arrived. <laughs> um, no, and it's, it's funny because in the midst of it all, there's kind of peace. Like, Melissa's spilling drinks over here, and then, you know. <laughs> but there's peace in all of it because uh, through it all, none of that stuff really matters, sound check and all that stuff. Um, that's not really the reason why we're here. We're here uh, to hear about Jesus, to celebrate him uh, together, and um, worship him through worship and teaching and scripture and being together as a family and a body of believers. So uh, let's get started. We are in the third week through this series that we've been calling Cosmic Christmas, and we've looked at several scriptures and read several chapters through the book of Revelation. Um, and this week we're going to get into Revelation chapter 5. If you guys want to open up your Bibles, we are going to read through it together. Um, but to, before we do that, just to recap the purpose of Revelations in this series, it's, to, it's meant to be, this book is meant to be read aloud, and it's meant to be a blessing to us as we read it. And the point of Revelation is not to agree, but to grow. Oop, did, I, did I go the wrong way? What the wrong way? You guys have seen all the slides before they actually come up. There we go. The point of Revelation is to um, not to agree, but to grow. Okay? As we read through this book, um, and much of what we, we aren't going to get to in the chapters from 6 to chapter, through chapter 11, there's a lot of imagery, there's a lot of uh, suggestive theology about what these images represent. Um, we would not agree on all of those things. Even in the ones <clears throat> that we talk about today, um, we may not agree in them, but the, the purpose of going through this series is not to get us all on the same page agreeing theologically about um, the things that are shown to us in images, but they are to help us grow in it. We looked at Revelation chapter 1 and introduced it, and then last week we went into Revelation chapter 12, before, and we read Revelation 4 and looked at the throne room of, of heaven together. And I kind of picture this, if you guys can get into the mindset of John, I don't know if you've ever had a, a dream that seemed realistic to you. You guys ever been sleeping and then um, it's like you're, you're in this state of, of sleep, but you see everything and, it, and when you wake up, it feels like it was real, right? Um, I had one of those this last week where I went back to summer camp, you know, and I was reliving my high school days, and they had this giant rock wall, and then got to the top, and I got to bungee jump, and I woke up, and I was like, I want to go to camp again. Um, sometimes uh, I think of John receiving this vision almost as a dream, but it was so real to him, right? Uh, it was a vision, this, this vision that was given to John, where he, he saw it, and he was a part of it, and he was seeing it, and he's trying to translate that to us through these scriptures. There's been other times I've received prophetic dreams. I don't know if any of you have ever had these before, but one for me, for instance, was when I was in China, and I was on a mission trip with uh, my best friend, and we would wake up every morning, and we would pray about where God would want us to go, and we would just go. And I remember the night before, I had a very vivid dream from God, and it was an image of a Chinese man's face that I did not know, 
Um, there's a billion people that live in China. And I remember the next, the next day as we were out walking around, I see the same exact man that I was in my dreams the night before, and God prompted me to go and talk to him and share the gospel with him and live this, this day with him. And that happened. It was a very real prophetic dream that manifests itself in reality the next day. Okay? It says that many of your young men will dream dreams and prophesy. Okay? I believe he still speaks in that way, in a lot of ways, and he'll give visions and dreams. And I believe uh, John had one of these prophetic-type dreams. Okay? It's a dream of things that will come, that will happen. So, reflecting back on Revelation chapter 4, if you guys, I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but we read it last week. If you want to get an image of what the throne room of heaven looks like, you can read Revelation chapter 4 and you can get caught up in this beautiful mystery of the throne room of heaven where God is sitting on the throne, right? And he's surrounded by these 24 elders and it gives these beautiful descriptions of, of all of what this is going to look like as we approach that throne. This morning... It's almost as if he takes a microscope and zooms in on that throne, okay? Where the king is sitting on the throne, where God is sitting on the throne, okay? We're led to chapter 5 of Revelation. So let's read it together. Um, This is the first few verses. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. Oh, let me put it up there for you if you don't have your Bibles. A scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice. Mighty angel, this is another um, reference to a mega angel, like this giant angel or this mighty powerful angel that John is talking about, proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept. Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. I don't know if you guys can picture this. But we see God sitting on a throne, and he's holding this scroll. And some of the speculations are the theologians that they talk about this scroll. There's, there's so many different um, suggestions that what this might be. I, I think it is probably the history of all of mankind from the beginning of time to now to the end of time. And it would be, um, it would be in line with scriptures that talks about God being the, the beginning and the end, the one who was, is, and is to come. And it says it has these seven scrolls. And I I don't know about you, but I feel like I would have been like John in this instance, where he's seeing this image happen, and they're crying out, the angels are crying out, who is worthy to open this scroll? We need to read this. We want to read this. We want to know if if others say that this is, uh, it could be the scroll with all the names written in the book of life right? Whatever it is, we need to open this because the king is holding this scroll, right? And we want to know what's in it. And it says it has seven seals on it that are going to be broken. Now, if you start to imagine if you've got to break these seals one at a time 
or if you break them all open and read it at the same time, I would have been anxious just like John, saying, if you're going to and fro throughout the earth looking for someone to open this and we can't find someone, I start to get worried, and, and John starts to get worried, and he starts to cry, and he's weeping with the angels going, who, who is worthy? Who is worthy? God, who is worthy to open this? No one? Not, none of the angels? None of these great beings? None of the people on any of the earth? No one is able to open the scroll? And he's weeping. And then you'll notice one of the angels lean over to John and say, stop crying. John. It's okay. Weep no more. There is no one who is worthy except for one. There is only one who is worthy. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And this is where we get this beautiful picture of God or Jesus being the lion of the tribe of Judah. Historically, if you read through the Old Testament, there are certain references to the Messiah, to the coming king. One is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The other is the root or the stump of Jesse. Jesus was the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies. Everything from the beginning of time to the end of time, God sees, God knows, he's omniscient. It's one of his attributes, an attribute of God where he sees this. And the elder Next to John says, stop crying, John. It's okay. When things in your life are getting so full of anxiety and fear and you start worrying about what is going to happen, I don't know. It could be this Christmas season. Your carpets could be stained, right? Your, your Christmas presents could be unwrapped or stolen, packages off the side of your, your house. Like, we don't know. Family could be coming to town, Sometimes that's the scariest thing, right? He can be full of anxieties. We don't know the pressures, financial stress, work-related problems, marriage issues, relationship issues. You have kids, right? All of these things can make us anxious, and I feel like we need those people in our life like this elder saying to John, it's okay, stop crying. There's one who comes who is able to see all of this, who's going to take care of you. He is the Lion of Judah. Now, the phrasing on this is pretty cool, right? The angel leans over to, to John and says, don't worry, the Lion of Judah is coming. But watch, in verse 6, it says, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain standing at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The elder calls him a lion. John sees a lamb, and not just a lamb, but a lamb that has been slain, has been slaughtered. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. 
together with all of the myriads of angels, all of, all of the elders around the thrones. They all gather together around this throne, and the Lion of Judah comes, but he's not, he doesn't look like the lion. He looks like a lamb. When Jesus came to earth, and we're looking back historically now, instead of looking forward, when he came, everybody expected this, this ruler of kingdoms, physical, human kingdoms. Our mindset was thinking a lion of the tribe of Judah, someone who ruled with this iron fist and said, this is the way it's going to be. But that's not the way that Jesus came. Jesus came humbly as a baby in a manger, fragile, innocent, weak in, human, in humanity, subject to all of the things of this world, to all the frailties of this world. He came as a lamb. He came to conquer not what we see, not what we know, but everything else in this cosmic world that we don't see and we don't know. The death of Jesus is what qualifies him to break the seals and reveal the content of the scroll. Because as verse 9 makes explicitly, explicitly clear, by means of his blood alone. The blood of the pure, spotless lamb is what allows him to open the scroll. It says, from every tribe, language, and people, and nation, they were ransomed or redeemed and delivered from sin and condemnation by the blood of the lamb. He conquered because his death, not because And that was followed by the resurrection. And because of the resurrection, he's able to say that he conquered death. So where, oh death, is your victory? Where is your sting? The lamb stands as a sign of resurrected life. Jesus Christ is alive, right? And when we think of the death on the cross, oftentimes we stop there and, and, and we forget to remember that he is still alive that he rose from the grave, and he's still alive. And John is seeing this lamb who is alive and approaching the throne of God and, and being the one, only one worthy of being able to open these seals. Up until that time that Jesus Christ returns to this earth in the second coming, victory is achieved not by the sword, but by a sacrifice. He didn't come ruling as one that we would have thought that he would rule, but one who gave up everything so that we could have everything. Jesus conquers through the cross. Our king, Jesus, does not win converts by killing his enemies, but by dying for them. He didn't come in the way that we thought that he was going to come, by killing and destroying all of the enemies of this world. He came and subjected himself to death so that his enemies might be found and then rising again to eternal life. When he returns, he will destroy his enemies. But until then, he wins by sacrifice. That was the way of Jesus. After we see Jesus opening these uh, scrolls, it says there is a response. A response to the opening of the scrolls was this, was this song that they started singing all around the throne saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God 
persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. I want to take a minute here and talk about every tribe, people, nation, and tongue. Think about that for a second. Because we see this also in Matthew chapter 28 when he gives us the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, all people, every tongue, every tribe. God is a lover of ethnic diversity. I believe that when we receive salvation, we receive Christ, we receive the spirit of Christ in us, and he gives each one of us gifts to be utilized in the church, that we display the image of Christ. However, it's in part. Each one of us has unique little giftings within us, and it's not until all of us come together with each of our unique giftings, that we see a full image of God. And we cannot see the full image of God unless every tongue, tribe, and nation is represented. We only get a part or a parcel of it. I know this is a a hot topic right now in social climates and atmospheres, talking about ethnic diversity, but God is a lover of diversity. Racism is blasphemy. Racism is negating parts of Christ, parts of God that are exemplified only through certain people, that different cultures manifest a spirit of God in different ways than we do, than you do. That you can't see the full image of God without having all the tribes of Africa present. That you can't see the full image of God without having all of Asia present present that people from every tongue, tribe, and nation represent the fullness of God. We are all an image of God created in his image, and without the representation of all nations, we're missing pieces of God. Al Mohler said this after um, an attack in Louisville. He's uh, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He says, A claim of white superiority is not merely wrong and not merely deadly. It is a denial of the glory of God in creating humanity. Every single human being in his own image. It is a rejection of God's glory in creating a humanity of different skin pigmentations. It is a misconstrual of God's judgment and glory in creating different ethnicities. Most urgently, it is a rejection of the gospel of Christ. The great good news of God's saving purpose in the atonement accomplished by Christ, a claim of racial superiority, denies our common humanity, our common sinfulness, our common salvation through faith in Christ, and God's purpose to create a common new humanity in Christ. You cannot preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and hold to any notion of racial superiority. It is impossible. So we come to praise and worship God as kings and priests in his kingdom. From this, we see a snowball of praise that happens. When we are all gathered together in the throne room and we're caught up in this this heavenly realm, we start to see this this snowball effect happening of, of praise where in verse 11 
It says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice, and they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. The angels surrounded the throne and started proclaiming that God is, that Jesus is worthy. The Lamb has been slain and He is to receive all of this, all the wealth, all the wisdom, all the strength, all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory. And then he says in verse 13, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power. And then the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. At first it was the four living creatures singing their songs of praise and then they were joined by the 24 elders gathering around them and then the myriads and thousands and thousands of angels and then every creature and every being in heaven and on earth, you guys get caught up in this and they all lay down and they start worshiping and they say power, wealth, wisdom, strength, might, honor, glory, blessing to God. The lamb who was slain brings this, ushers in this beautiful act of praise. Okay? I'm hoping that you guys are seeing this. Like, the imagery is is what gets me caught up in it. That I can't wait to be a part of this, this myriad, not just here on earth, but up in heaven. And as we pray, heaven come to earth, this should be our praise here and now. That we are, when we gather together, we are turning all of the education, everything that we are learning, that we can listen to this message this morning and learn about the Lamb who was slain. We can learn about the, the throne room of heaven. We can see it, we can picture it, we can know it, and still not have our hearts get attached to it. Education of this, the knowledge of this, should lead us to exaltation to praise, to proclaiming, like to delight in him. We exalt him, which blossoms then into the fruit of praise and honor and exaltation, that we turn everything that we know, not just from something that we're learning and hearing here, but that it moves itself down into our hearts, transforms us completely, and says, I want to worship God. The ultimate goal of theology isn't knowledge, but worship I'm not up here to teach you guys all of the time. I'm here to preach, right? I will tell you about it all the time, but if my words that I'm teaching you don't move you into a place of worship, my teaching is meaningless. I don't want to speak just to your minds. I want to speak to your hearts that the Lamb who was slain should move you to worship. The theology of revelation and these images and these prophecies should move you to worship. The ultimate goal of theology isn't knowledge, but worship. Theology without doxology is idolatry. If you learn about all of these things and you don't put it into practice and praise and saying, God, I know you, I've read your word, I know you, and turn that into something that moves you to worship and praise. All you're doing is idolizing some words on a page. Even the Bible can be read without moving it into your heart. 
I only say that because I believe my grandpa was that way. Wise, wise man. He, he knew Hebrew. He knew Greek. He studied the Bible in their context. He could read the biblical languages, but he never knew Jesus. I fear that some of us may be the same way. That we can sit through Christmas services. We can even read the Bible on our own, but never have it move from your head into your heart. When it moves from your head into your heart, your entire life changes. It's no longer about climbing the ladder or finding success in this world. It's, it's no longer about trying to become a lion yourself and taking over kingdoms and, and, and becoming the ruler of all things. No, it's about becoming a lamb who sacrifices all so that he can receive that praise. He is the lion and the lamb. I heard one theologian phrase it this way. The lion is the one in whom we find unimpeachable authority. He is also the lamb who embodies humility and meekness in the highest degree. The lion wields power and strength that none can resist. And he's also the lamb who walked this earth in weakness and suffering, resisting none. The lion rules the world and governs its every move. He's also the lamb who was meekly led to slaughter by his enemies. The lion is known for his uncompromising commitment to righteousness. The lamb overflows in love to sinners like you and me. The lion commands total obedience from everyone. The lamb in his earthly life, submitted himself in obedience to the law of God. The lion who is holy and pure beyond our wildest imagination is also the lamb who is gracious and kind and tender-hearted to all. The lion who could silence a raging storm with a single word is also the lamb who refused to speak or revile against those who nailed him to a cross. The lion is life itself. The lamb willingly dies for his enemies. God is both the strength that we can stand on and the humble servant that we can lean on. Jesus is the lion and the lamb. He is at one and the same like a lion like lamb and a lamb like lion without any inconsistency or any contradiction. He is the one who is worthy to break the seal. George Frederick Handel wrote some words about this in a song that goes like this. I won't sing it. I'll read it. You don't want me to sing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings forever and ever, and Lord of lords, hallelujah, hallelujah. And he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Let's pray. God, you are King of kings, Lord of lords, hallelujah. Praise be to our God, Yahweh. You are the lion and the lamb. 
You are the one who is worthy to be praised. You are the only one in all of history, all of past, all of present, all of future who can ever approach that throne with confidence saying that you are pure and spotless and you have given even your own life unto death and have conquered death and in victory you, pro- you uh, approach the throne room of God and say, God, hand me that scroll. I'm, I'm going to open it. Jesus the lamb who was slain. God, that is where we place all of our hope, all of our faith, all of our trust. It's in you, God. It's in you. It's in you. Lord, it's in you, and I pray that these words move from our head into our heart, that we would truly believe that with everything within us, God, that you are the lamb who was slain that in this season of stress and anxiety and all the other things of this world, we, we can hear your voice next to us saying, stop crying. It's going to be okay. You have overcome. You rule. You are Lord. God, all of this theology, may it turn to doxology as we turn our hearts in worship to you. May these songs be an expression of our heart on display for you. God, may you be praised. May you be worshiped. In Jesus' name, amen.